Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. It's been a good while here since we've done um, a morning episode. And there was a little stretch whenever we did them. I think it must have been years ago now. Um, where I learned a lot of lessons. I think, <laughs> especially because we were on YouTube, I got a lot of feedback that uh, one notably it sticks in my head a lot. I, th- I think about it often. I've never seen someone, this person said, I've never seen someone look so absolutely dead and miserable to be conscious yet speaking so passionately about something because whatever the topic was that morning, it was important. And so like my eyes were like this because I physically like I, I'm not my body just can't do it. So this morning I was up way earlier than our, our recording time. I drank a coffee. I slapped myself in the face a bunch. I dunked my head in freezing cold water. I was like, this is Evan's domain. This is Brad's domain. Like I, I'm entering their world. I need to be ready for this. I mean, Brad, you're here. You're you're ready. You're alive, Evan. You actually look dead. I've, I, you're you're worse off now than you are in the evening. So I'm just thinking, when are you alive? Usually at this time, but I don't know what's going on today. Like I, I got nothing. I got. I will rally, but uh, I'm like you know, got to get the engine going right now. My voice is completely gone. I have no idea why. Fred must have like slept on my face or something. I was like. <laughs> And like I was not breathing for maybe a few good minutes last night. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But I'll I'll get going. Don't worry about me. I uh, if that's your like not ready voice, I think you're good to go at least for podcasting because you sound like you're ready to read out like uh, fan comments or like something on like a, a, a smooth jazz show in the evening to get everyone to chill out. Like it's not a bad horse voice. Thank you. <laughs> no, that, that voice cracked in it that was uh, never mind uh morning brad good morning all right uh on this early edition of the winged wheel podcast uh we were talking before we love episodes that just kind of sort themselves out with news uh, we went from this is going to be probably a lighter episode before the draft stuff really ramps up to um a ton of news and we don't know if we'll be able to fit it all in so uh excited and somehow awake welcome to the winged wheel podcast i'm ryan Hanna. i've already been up for an hour and a half i'm brad crisco and i'm evan evan you said not to worry about you but we have to man we said we were, we were talking the other day unfortunately all of us have carved out our stupid little niche on this show so if you die i, I we will not hear the end of it so you got you do actually have to rally that's true. I don't. I. I couldn't. I don't know how you'd get through the, uh, the avalanche of comments and complaints if I no. didn't make it. No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, uh, we have genuinely plenty to talk about. Uh, the Stanley Cup was awarded, uh, and the usual drama follow followed. Uh, the buyout window is now open in the NHL, and we'll discuss what that means for the Red Wings. Uh, trade rumors. Like genuine, real, tangible trade rumors regarding a prominent Red Wings player uh, this early on. And uh, the Red Wings being interested in a, well, relatively high-level uh, free agent, which I think specifically we said probably wasn't going to happen. So that's worth discussing. And then a prospect profile all before overtime. 
Before uh, we jump into all that, though, I do want to talk to you about the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative and was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer, Ken Daniels, and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. All right, the Stanley Cup. Tampa Bay did it. They did it at home. They did it in dominant fashion. 4-1 series win. Uh, They lift it. I think this was the first time that I predicted a series against Montreal correctly, and it was just pure stubbornness in predicting a five game series. I don't really know what else there is to say other than the, you know, drama behind it all, but Tampa looked good. Vasilevsky. I, I, I thought this was Kucherov's con Smythe until the final round, but Vasilevsky took it. And I thought that was the right call too. You know, kudos to them. Yeah. Montreal came back down to earth. Tampa was by far the better team and absolutely beat the shit out of them. Um, Vasilevsky or Kucherov could have won con Smythe and, that would have been great. Uh, overall, the Stanley Cup final from an entertainment standpoint sucked. Worst one I remember watching in my adult life. Um, Montreal's overtime win was probably the only game that was interesting. Um, the first three games, I shouldn't say the first three games, but two of the first three games, Tampa looked like they were ready to blow the barn door off of Montreal. And then in the second game, Montreal, just bad luck. But even at that, they weren't generating a ton of high danger chances, even though they were controlling the pace of play. And in the last game, even though it was only one nothing, Montreal never really looked like they were in it. They it was a close game, but again, Montreal wasn't getting a ton of quality chances. Tampa just locked it down. Um if it wasn't for Montreal having the unbelievable Cinderella run they did, this would be the most forgettable playoffs I can ever remember in my adult life. Um, thankfully, Montreal was so unexpected. It did give us something to focus on, and it kind of sucks that it crashed and burned exactly how we all predicted it would crash and burn. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tampa was the best team in the league. Um, Tampa is still the best team in the league. Tampa is going to lose a prominent player this offseason and probably still be the best team in the league. Um, you know, they've been my preseason cup prediction. I think every year this podcast has existed and spoiler, they'll probably be my preseason cup prediction for next season too. So absolutely nothing, nothing in this cup finals was surprising. Um, I just I just want to talk about everything that happened after the game ended. That's that's where all the fun stuff happened this in this series. For the sake of uh, good argument here, I do want to push against one thing that you said. I agree, the Cup Finals were dull. Uh, I mean, if if Montreal had snuck out with a win in Game Two, if the hockey gods gave them that one, I think we would have been looking at a more entertaining series. Um, but yeah, all in all, yeah, you would have hoped for more in the Cup Final. I thought the rest of the playoffs were awesome genuinely like Montreal's entire run and that's three rounds of genuinely very exciting hockey even their sweep of Winnipeg you like you were marveling at Montreal uh Vegas's first series against Minnesota and then the series against Colorado that fantastic I know if you you don't like the style of game that the Islanders play I thought Tampa Bay's series against the Islanders was great like I thought there was plenty of good series here 
there was a lot to love and there was a lot of very unique, fun storylines, underdogs, you know, favorites. I thought the Stanley Cup finals suck, stuck out like a sore thumb against it, it, an array of really, really good hockey. It was really, really good hockey in two of the four divisional playoffs, um, which was fine. The The Central was great. You know, Tampa, Florida, Tampa, Carolina, great series. Uh, even yeah, Carolina, even Nashville was great series. Everything that happened in the West was great. Vegas, Minnesota, Colorado, Vegas, outside of, you know, do you even remember that St. Louis was in the playoffs? I feel like they, they went out so quickly and so meekly that everybody forgot St. Louis was there. Yeah, but that happens every year. Right? No, I, I know. always a couple. Where these playoffs sucked was um, a bunch of teams that we were hoping to see something from didn't happen. And the story, the prominent storylines outside of Montreal were all negative. The shitty refing, the Shifley suspension, the Kadri suspension. There, there wasn't that, you know, Connor McDavid popped off for 40 points in a playoffs. There wasn't that... You know, Johan Franzen sets a record in a sweep of a playoff series for points or, or anything like that. It was good hockey overshadowed by bad, ugly storylines. And one of them, the refing, which persisted and somehow got worse as the playoffs went on, despite literally every hockey fan I talked to and read online hated it. Even the like, let them play purists were like, what the hell is this shit? So it was... Like, don't get me wrong. There's no such thing as a bad Stanley Cup playoffs. It's all relative. You compare these playoffs to previous playoffs. You hold them up against each other. And and, and frankly, this one wasn't good because every year there's always great series. There's always great storylines. There's always great hockey. It was... (sighs) It was all of the that, but without any of the extra cool. Like I said, Montreal is what saved these playoffs because for the most part, it was the exact results we expected in a lot of the series. Um, not many upsets of significance outside of Montreal. Were there really any outside of Montreal? Um, and yeah, just the refing and the suspensions and... You know the limited fans because of the pandemic in uh, some key markets. Yeah, it was. It, it was. I. It's a playoffs. I enjoyed it, but it was underwhelming compared to previous years. Evan, your take before we move on because I need to know whether or not I can insult Brad here. Good or bad playoffs overall? Well, I'll start insulting Brad because I totally agree with you, Ryan. I thought the playoffs were were great. Uh, there was. If you want to be entertained, I thought it was very entertaining. The refereeing, you know, even though it was garbage. It's in a top focal point. It's a talking point. Suspensions, you know, I don't want to like seeing guys get run over and injured, but another good talking point. So maybe it's good from a podcast standpoint. I don't know. Um, <laughs> You've broken your brain. <laughs> um, and I thought there were some really good series. Uh, yeah, St. Louis has been long since forgotten, but they ran into Colorado who were all uh, absolutely hot at that point. I thought the Vegas Colorado series was really good. I, you know, I won't I won't include Montreal in this conversation because I think everybody that could be just my main point. Um, but I didn't really think the Toronto series was interesting with for them. Um, but I thought the Islanders Boston series was really good because 
it's two absolutely lunatic fan bases going at each other. Um, I honestly thought the playoffs were really good. Mine, I, the finals was probably not the cherry on top the league would want or what you'd want as a fan because Montreal couldn't repeat lightning in a bottle. <laughs> no pun intended. Hey. Uh, for the fourth time. Uh, yeah, so maybe the conclusion wasn't what, what people wanted outside of Tampa Bay, but um, I thought the playoffs were quite interesting this year. All right, let the record show. Uh, after a vote of two to one, Brad is declared a grumpy old man on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Moving on. It's funny. Nobody addressed the point I actually made, but we'll, we'll leave that for later. You assume Brad, I was listening. Yeah, buddy, we keep telling you we don't listen when you talk. I actually get my laundry done while you're speaking and get it all folded off to the side over here. Um, if what, Brad, what, what Brad mentioned earlier, which is the real storyline right now, was the press conferences after Tampa Bay lifted the cup. Uh, quite notably, a shirtless Nikita Kucherov uh, came out, did his press conference, no holds barred, no bullshit, a big F you to everyone, said – you know, railed on the Habs fans pretending like game five was their Stanley Cup. Uh, he, I think this was actually a genuine slip up, but he called, um, in, a, in an entire tirade about how Vasilevsky should have won the last two Vesnas. He called Marc Andre Fleury, that guy from Vegas, uh, you know, number one bullshit was a phrase that was thrown around as already on t shirts. He's won a Bud Light sponsorship from it by now. It's, it was hysterical. Um, whether you love or hate it, I thought it was great for hockey. I think this is what people want more of in general. Um, a lot of people called him a classless winner without grace. And you know what? You're entitled to your opinion. And as long as that makes you passionate about the game, fine. I personally love it. I don't even, I disagreed with a lot of what he said, but I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Going into this season and going back a few years, going back to when the Red Wings were still in the playoffs, I'm not a fan of Nikita Kucherov. I can respect how good he is. Like, he's a legit top five player in the world, and I don't think there's much debate about that. But he's an a-hole on the ice. He's a miserable prick. He's a dirty player on the ice, and he, he has the tendency to flop from time to time. So, don't get me wrong. I am no fan of Nikita Kucherov. Everything he said in those press conferences only makes me dislike him more. But I'm glad he did it. I am thrilled. He, the NA, entertain anything entertainment needs villains. It needs entertaining villains. We have to be invested watching them lose. I was already fully like railed against Tampa these entire playoffs, this entire season, and they won. So now I'm pissed off. I'm invested in seeing them lose next year because I'm angry. I hate the way. This season played out because one of the very few teams I was actively rooting against to win the Stanley Cup won. And now their best player is going out, popping off about an entire fan base who went on a Cinderella run. Like his opinion about Montreal celebrating like that's stupid. Like they shouldn't have got out of the first round and then they advanced to the cup finals. No shit. They're going to party Nikita. Like get serious. <laughs> like. I, I love that they did. Like, again, I love that he said this. I love that he's speaking his mind. I love that he's, like, from a teammate perspective, pitching for his goalie. Like, that's what any good teammate would do. Um, should Vasilevsky have won the Vesna? Nah, probably not. You could have made a case for it. He was a finalist, which was fair. 
Should he have won the Conn Smythe? Probably not. Nikita himself probably should have won it, but he was a fine pick. Um, like anybody who says hockey players are boring and uninteresting and then complains when they do shit like this, you're not allowed to have an opinion anymore. You're contradicting yourself. Like we're again, I, the, the number one point I have made repeatedly since this podcast has started is hockey is a game for our entertainment. So when a hockey player does something entertaining, even if you agree with it or not, we should embrace it. I want everybody to just have like some sort of Conor McGregor style press conference after every game. F this guy, F that guy. We're going to beat them into the ground next time. This team sucks. That team sucks. This team, I'm coming for you. All of this is great. I disagreed with just about everything he said, and I loved every second of it. Montreal is going to try to beat the absolute shit out of them. The fans are going to be ruthless. Like if they might come just short of throwing bottles or cans on the ice in like game 53 of the regular season next year, if it's against Tampa Bay. And that is incredible. Like no one should be gatekeeping what Montreal fans can feel about this. And no one should be gatekeeping what players are allowed to say in press conferences. I think this is excellent. Like it's just, it's so good. It gives, you know, hockey, some personality. We've seen a trillion post-game, post-cup interviews where they all say the right thing. And that's good. Not everyone needs to be some caricature where they, they, they say ridiculous things or insightful things. Like not, we're not saying everyone has to be that way, but in a, in a, a sport that's pretty devoid of personality and that players never show it. Um, this was, it was fun. Like it was fun as hell. Everyone's having fun. It's, it's reminiscent of when Ovi went absolutely nuts celebrating the cup. Like it's a good storyline. This is a sport where it's not that the players are actually dull. It's not that they're dull people. They're all probably hysterical. They're a bunch of himbos. Of course they're funny. Um, it's just, there's no celebration of those personalities. And that's, I, that's both on the players and the fans and, you know, what we've liked historically. But no, this has been a, a nice step in that direction. I thought it was fun as hell. A point I want to talk about with Tampa Bay, as long as we're okay with, with moving on from Kucherov here. I think we've, we've said the piece. Um, it, we, we mentioned this last podcast, but I think it's worth noting again. And if you're a Tampa Bay fan and you're like, Oh, piss off. Like stop bringing up Steve Eisman. This isn't a Detroit victory to you. I say go celebrate your second straight Stanley Cup and let us have this again. It's repeating the obvious, but how good is it to know that one of the major architects, if not the major architect of this Tampa Bay team is now in Detroit? Like this is the kind of team that Steve Eisman wants to build. A lot of people have talked about what he did over there. Elliot Friedman talked about how demanding of a boss Steve Eisman was and how high his standards and how rigid his standards were. And that is to build a sustainable competitor. It's to build a sustainable, a sustainably Stanley Cup competitive team. And that's the result in Tampa Bay was not a short time to do so a decade. Like that's, that's how long it takes in the cap era, but that's what you have over there. And it feels good to know that that's in Detroit right now. Yes, I'm not going to disagree with anything you're saying there. Um, I'm going to throw a big caution flag up, though, because I've seen this opinion get put out online and then it gets taken to extremes that make no goddamn sense. Detroit is not in the same position. Stevie is not going to be able to do here what he did in Tampa. Could he make this team competitive? Yes, of course. 
are they going to be the super team that he built in Tampa? No, that is probably not realistic. Tampa's had a lot go right for them from a luck standpoint. Let's not forget, Stevie inherited Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman there. That Those two things did not happen under his watch. Julian Breezeball obviously uh, navigated the salary cap at a masterful level and brought in a couple key pieces like Barclay Goudreau and uh, Blake Coleman after Stevie left. So not that Breezeball is devoid of any credit here. He gets a ton of the credit. Um, and Stevie, there. this is part skill, part luck. But the Red, the Red Wings, the Lightning got unbelievably lucky in the draft. A majority of this team was built outside of the first round. Like a legit majority. And some of their superstars were drafted outside of the first round. In the last decade, the way drafting has improved, you're not getting a Braden Point in the third round. You're not getting a Nikita Kucherov in the second round. Like you, you can get g- good to great players later in the draft, but not superstars. And to do it twice and then to have that many, it's not realistic to expect that out of Eisenman again. Like everything went right. Now, that being said, as we learned, um, Eisenman has overhauled this scouting staff, which was one key part of Detroit that I think we all agree has been, had been lacking a little bit over the last five years. So that's a step in the right direction. The Red Wings didn't really have a vision for what type of team they wanted to be. Well, with Eisenman, that part is very clear now, too. And that is those both those things are very reminiscent of what he did in Tampa Bay. And he he's already looked to have hit pretty well outside of the first round on a couple picks. So we're doing well. So I think we're on the right track. I think that, you know. Eisenman did it there. He's going to do the same thing here. It's just not going to be to the same extreme because there's no way, you know, light, <laughs> lightning pun aside, that lightning can strike twice exactly the same way it did in Tampa. So before we get carried away saying, Eisenman's going to build a super team, we're going to five finals. Is he going to get us a cup? I'm pretty optimistic he will. Are we going to go to five finals in six years? Probably not. Um, a point I made, and this was relevant to the Bertuzzi discussion, uh, rebuilds are all completely different. They're immensely difficult. Very few of them are successful in the first go or how people planned it. Um, and this applies here even to a GM with a good track record. So you're right, Brad, and, and you're right to add those massive grains of salt, grains of salts is actually, and caveats to my point like that. It took a decade for Tampa Bay. He could, he could strike gold. He could find, you know, diamond in the mine here. Uh, I'm not going to say it's impossible to find that Braden point. It's just, I think your point, Brad, is that you can't, your point, Brad, is that you can't count on that kind of thing. Something else I want to bring up just to add a, a little bit more nuance. The development and system, development system in Tampa Bay is phenomenal. Like Al Murray is a super scout over there. Eisenman tried to bring him to Detroit. He didn't want to. Uh, that's not something to really speculate on. Like once you get into, less visible front office positions. It's harder to move those people around because they're people with lives in the cities they live in, but it's an entire structure over there. It's going to take a long time to build that in Detroit, but you know what? We'll be better off for it once it's, once it's done, so to speak, because it'll be sustainable. Um, okay. That's the Stanley cup. Congratulations, Tampa Bay, uh, for the second time. Uh, Brad would say you're 18 mil over the cap, 
People would say Nikita Kucherov is an asshole for, for that press conference. Who knows who's right? At least we're still talking about it. And it's an entertaining storyline. All right. With that, we are officially into silly season. Uh, the buyout window is open. So let's chat about that very quickly. Um, I think the buyout window conversations are a little bit less uh, enticing this year because we weren't really expecting the Abdulkader buyout last year, but he was bought out. Uh, so he's still on the books for uh, how many more years is it? It is one, two, three, four, five years at just over first two years at 2.3 million and the next three years at just over a million. So the two main buyout candidates for the Red Wings, quite obviously, are Franz Nielsen, who has one year left at about 5.25 million, and uh, Danny DeKaiser, who has one year left at 5 million. Um, my take is we're probably not going to see either of these guys bought out. Franz Nielsen wouldn't make a ton of sense in my mind because the savings would be pretty much the same as if you had just sent him down to the AHL, like waived him and he cleared waivers, about a million bucks. Um, De Kaiser would actually be more likely, but I'm not sure that they're looking to do that right now. I don't know your guys' take on it. Well, to get the hockey side of this out of the way first, the red, the left side of the Red Wings defense is in shambles right now. So quite honestly, they need DeKaiser. Whatever opinion you hold of him as a hockey player and whatever opinion you hold about whether or not he's going to bounce back or improve this year almost doesn't matter because they just need warm bodies uh, for that side right now. Um, so for that reason, you probably have to keep him um, unless by some miracle Seattle claims him in the expansion draft. Um with Nielsen, it's a bit more of an argument because obviously he was a healthy scratch a ton last year. Uh, on the ice, he brings nothing to this team anymore. He's he's a negative value asset. Um, but because there's only one year left, there's no sense adding any cap hit to the following year. Unless you desperately need the cap space this year, which I don't. Even with taking on some bad contracts, I don't see Detroit being a cap team this year. The only reason to buy out Nielsen would be if the Red Wings really need to save some real world dollars, which I'm not saying isn't going to happen. That's I'm probably the main reason Abdulkader got bought out as soon as he did. Because um, even with Abdulkader, I think we were all in the agreement that a buyout was coming, but we thought it would be a year or two later than when it happened. So... We, we can't rule that out. Off the top of my head, I don't know how much real-world dollars they save buying out Nielsen. At this point, I don't think it's all that much. So, given that it's not a substantial amount of money in all likelihood, it's only one year. Yeah, the Red Wings would be better served just keeping him. And if, if they really don't want him around the team because he's such a negative value asset, send him to Grand Rapids. Let him mentor the kids or have him fill one of the healthy scratch spots for like 80% of the season. Yeah. Real world dollars, or they make a million different uh, load up on bad contract moves and push to the cap that way for a single year. And they need every ounce of space, which I mean, would be incredibly fun, but also not likely. I think it's significant. Like it is a significant amount of real world dollars that they save with Nielsen, but I don't know, probably at this point, I'm not sure that they even want that on the books. I think it would cost them uh, a little bit next year too, maybe like 500 grand or something. I don't know. Um, I had the calculator up in front of me. 
a second ago. I think, yeah, DeKaiser would make more sense just in terms of the actual buyout numbers. But like you said, Brad, the left side of the D, it's, uh, they need that help. The roster spots are are a very good reason to move these players along. And I think that's why that was the main driver behind Applicator. Um but there's probably enough there and enough mobility with waiving these players as well to to make that work. But, you know, it's all speculative. We don't know what will happen quite yet. But I agree with you, Brad. I don't think it's entirely too likely. Mentioning cap space, now that we are officially flipped to the offseason, Detroit is entering this offseason, expansion draft, draft, free agency coming up with the second most cap space in the league behind only brand new NHL team Seattle. Kraken, who have all literally all of their cap space. So this has been a long time coming. Uh, I mean, Detroit's been in a big cap space position for a little while now, but uh, this is truly the, the most opportune position Detroit's been in. And this is the same as last year. Teams need to get under the cap. Um, the same hard cap or the same lower cap that, that people thought would be the case before COVID is here. Tampa Bay is going to need to get under the cap. A lot of other teams are going to need to make moves. Detroit's primed. I don't know. Do you guys see anything happening? I mean, Eisenman's been very vocal this entire time about wanting to take on bad contracts to acquire assets. So I still think that's his priority. Um, who and what's the return? I have no idea. There's way too many options to really hammer down on which one it's going to be and which one makes the most sense. But I... I do think he's going to be very active in that stance. He's already said publicly he doesn't plan on plan on being a big spender in free agency. So don't see a lot happening there outside of the one rumor that's broke, which makes no goddamn sense to me, but I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be active, but more so for quote-unquote bad contracts. I think there will be a lot more fish in the sea this year because of the expansion expansion draft. I don't think teams will be making the boneheaded moves they made with with Vegas, but I think there will be teams who need a Detroit to help them out, fin- make some finesse moves to keep their protected list how they would envision it. So I, I would be shocked if Detroit doesn't make at least one move. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they made a couple moves because there's going to be teams who are now trying to pivot to the expansion draft and here's Detroit sitting there with all their cap space ready to be used and uh, to help teams out for, you know, maybe a little bit of a kickback. As long as Ken Holland doesn't ruin it by giving up an asset for 37-year-old Duncan Keith with two years at five plus million on his contract, like... Well, the ask, the initial ask, and you know, you always offer high. But the initial ask in return was like Ethan Bear or McLeod in return for Duncan Keith. They should be giving something up, and they're asking for an asset. Don't cock this up, Ken. Please, please, don't ruin the market value. Hey, hey! In Ken Holland's defense, these rumors have been out there for two weeks, and if that was the initial ask, and no deal has happened yet. Kenny's holding his ground, so this is not something we have seen in the past. Um, you know, what whether or not a deal actually gets finalized, it's obviously not going to be uh, Ethan Bear or McLeod. So, you know, progress. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been a big advocate. Like, he has 
he's had a lot of bad trades, but Ken Holland's also had a lot of good trades. Like he has his head on his shoulders there. I just, I think he's a little bit more want to see the veteran experience value in dust in uh, Duncan Keith. I just also think that he could uh, be had. Very, is, he should be had very cheap. After seeing the the rumors about him being interested in Duncan Keith at all, it just set my brain down this rabbit of hole of imagine if in Ken Holland's brain, he didn't have that obsessive need for veteran leadership. How much better shape the Red Wings would be in if everything he did that didn't involve that motive, what the team would look like. Because everything he did that didn't involve that motive was pretty damn good. So it's just that one thing, that one trade he valued that ruined everything. It's not, I wouldn't even say veteran leadership. I think it's um, UFA contracts provide or combined with pro scouting. Like the assessment of pro level players at their UFA age was almost universally poor for the Red Wings, and it had been for the entire last phase of his career as a GM. You just like go back to the two thousands, much better back then. You know, brought on a lot of good pieces that were very complementary to to Detroit's core. But we have time to wax poetic or um, something a little bit more sad than that other days. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi's name came up, uh, courtesy of Elliot Friedman. Um, the context that it was brought up with online was Toronto was interested in him, but the reality is it seems like half the league was interested in Tyler Bertuzzi and his um, injury last year complicated things. And none of this is new. You'll remember that we talked about Bertuzzi and Mantha much in the same vein uh, as being potential trade pieces even before the trade rumor started last year. Um, and his name was thrown out there even as he was injured near the trade deadline last year before we knew he was out for the season. Like, And it makes sense. He's young. He's he has team control. He is a you know ferocious player to play against. He's has a ton of t- tenacity. He plays with a ton of sandpaper that Brad Marchand get under your skin in the most annoying way possible. And the guy produces. He played with Mantha and Larkin and and absolutely clicked on that line and produces with top level players. Like, where do you find guys who can go one ten retrieve pucks and play with your best players like that for cheap under team control and young? Like it's it's incredibly difficult to find those players. That's a coach's dream. That's a GM's dream. So yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi is a, a big get. Um, so the rumors aren't surprising. Before we get into the value of Bertuzzi and, and the teams that would be interested in him or, or, or would do well to get him, I talked about this on Twitter. It's contentious, and I it's for good reason. It's contentious, the notion of trading Tyler Bertuzzi, because the Red Wings just moved Mantha. They've been in this rebuild for already seemingly a long time. They have a long way to go. Is it a mistake to continually trade whatever good players you have to reset the clock? And I think it's a fair question, no matter which way you fall on it, like us three personally. I think it's a fair question because it's complicated, and it sucks. Like Bertuzzi's a fan favorite for good reason. I'd be heartbroken if, if Detroit lost Bertuzzi. I see the value in it objectively, but I'd be su- I'd be really sad. I love that guy. You, you love to have that guy playing for your team. Um, and I don't think there's a necessarily black and white answer here as to what is the best way to move forward. I think you can recognize his value on the team. I think he's as close as you can get to being a core piece without actually being a core piece. I don't know if the Red Wings have very many of those. Um, but if you get a King's ransom offer for him, I think you have to seriously consider it. But yeah, it, it's 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 going to drive a huge division and it's going to light Red Wings fandom on fire if he does get moved. Yeah, it, it's an interesting debate 
on the whole because the one trend I learned on Twitter when these rumors broke is nobody knows how old Tyler Bertuzzi is. He's 26. He's not that young. Like he's he's young if your team is contending now. But everybody seemed to think he was still like 23, 24 years old was the impression I got. So if you think the Red Wings are three years away from contending at best, he's almost 30 at that point. Um, yeah. And hockey and players I, aren't useless at 30. That's not what no, they're not saying. useless. He'll still be good. He'll still be a useful, productive player. But for how long? Because again, three years is like our insanely optimistic view. And I'm not talking about making the playoffs. I don't give a shit about making the playoffs. We're in this for the Stanley Cup. So I want to know who's going to be a part of the team when they're competing for a Stanley Cup. And like I said, everything has to go exactly right. And even beyond that for the Red Wings to even be considering contending in three years. I think playoffs in three years is honestly a little optimistic still, but I'll concede on that one, at least for the sake of this argument. You need to see good players through this rebuild. And I've been on that train since the beginning. And I still stand by that. You can't go nuclear like Edmonton and Buffalo and Arizona did and then have nobody on the outside of that. One, that's not going to happen in Detroit completely because I don't think we're getting rid of Larkin. I don't think there's any reality where we're getting rid of Larkin. but. The other part of this argument that I think people are ignoring when you actually want to get down to the reality of how far Detroit, how far away Detroit is, is by the time the Red Wings are contending for cups, those guys who have been there, done that, seen it, are vets in the league are going to be Philip Peronic, Philip Zatina, like the, the guys who are in there, who's completed like one, two, three, four years in the league. Those are the guys that are going to have been in the league for six, seven, eight years when the Red Wings are competing. So we're going to have those players. Unfortunately, they're just not the players you think they are. I think Larkin will be well into his 30s by then, but he's the captain, so that's fine. I'm sure the team will bring in some veteran leadership in free agency, as we've learned in the past. That is very cheap and easy to do. Um and, and yeah, Philip Peronic will probably be close to, if not over 30 by the time they're competing. Zadina will be in his late 20s. And, you know, Adam Ernie, if he's still around, will be in his 30s. Robbie Fabry will be close to 30. So, yeah, you absolutely are in a position where you can give up a player like Tyler Bertuzzi and not worry too much about it. Because, again, at best, he's 29, 30 by the time they start competing. In reality, he's probably 32, 33, 34 by the time... The Red Wings are truly in their window. So if you can get, you know, hypothetically a Nick Robertson or a Rasmus Sandin out of Toronto, you're crazy not to do it at this point. It's just, it's one, when you get there prolonging your window and two, it's just good asset management, you know, always get better. That's you want to run a good hockey team. Any deal that you look at and go, that makes us better. You do it. Like you don't overthink it. Timelines are great. And if it's an even trade, then you consider timelines. But if Kyle Dubas says Nick Robertson in a second round pick right now and Steve Eisenman turns it down, he's out of his mind. Like whether or not you think uh, Robertson, 
Whether or not you think Robertson is going to be as impactful as Bertuzzi is a, a very real debate. But if you think Robertson's going to be as impactful as Bertuzzi and you don't do it, you're crazy. Uh, are you going to say something, Ryan? Or are you just going to hop No, you can up? jump in. You can. Um, yeah, like, I agree with both of you guys. Like, I think I'm right in the middle on this, like, Let's not also forget Tyler Bertuzzi only played five games last year, maybe less. So, and he had a, a a back injury, and we everybody knows when you have a back injury, what you're getting after that is maybe a toss up. So, you know, if it's something materializes sooner rather than later in terms of a deal, I think you strongly consider it. I really like Tyler Bertuzzi. I love what he brings to the red wings i think he is a very valuable asset but like brad said like if an offer comes around you can't turn down you gotta take it um so yeah i think i'm right in the middle on this one i I, yeah i i just yeah i agree with both of you at the uh, simultaneously i think you're both right oh well that's upsetting i think you know i i understand Brad, your points are, are sound, and it, it's just boiling it down to the objective truth, and that's fine. I just think you to strip away the subjectivity is maybe not the best way to look at it here. That that's my view. If we get a Mantha, if the Red Wings get a Mantha type King's Ransom deal here, that's when I say, yeah, you, you can't be turning that down. But if it's something that just you know just reaches value, I'm not really looking to do that unless we have. Real concerns about how Tyler Bertuzzi is going to play long term. We have not seen him come back from his injury yet. He's had a full, he'll, he'll have, you know, most of a calendar year in recovering and, and, uh, training to get back up to form. So I'm not terribly concerned. I understand the notion of being, you want to be vigilant after back injuries. And, and that's totally right. The Red Wings lived that with Henrik Zetterberg, had to call it quits earlier than he would have liked because of it. But, I I would hope to hang on to Bertuzzi because I think he has a lot of value to this team unless you get that King's Ransom offer. And I think Steve Eisenman could pull in that King's Ransom offer based on how many teams are interested in him. So, yeah, l- let's look a little bit at that. Like Toronto was a main one that was introduced. Vancouver was. Philly was. LA, who is looking to turn around their rebuild and, and compete ASAP. Uh, those are all teams looking to do it. There's, there's going to be a lot of um, frustration from – let's say Bertuzzi does get traded. I think there's going to be a lot of surprise from the fan base of whichever team does trade for him because he's going to come at a high cost. And I think that's what he should come at. Like this is a perfect, perfect, perfect player to buy if you are a team that is competing or will be competing very soon. Well, if he goes to Toronto, he's the Zach Hyman replacement probably playing on that top line with Matthews and Marner. Um, but you kind of skimmed past the the crux of this whole argument, which I think is worth repeating. He's coming off a back injury in a season where he didn't play. And back injuries scare the ever-living shit out of me, and they scare the ever-living shit out of every GM in the league. And that's going to hurt his value, and I don't think Asimov's moving him for pennies on the dollar. Like, back injuries are no joke. Any, everybody remember Cody Hodgson? No? Exactly. So it's it's worth mentioning that this is all qualified with he's going to have to like jump through hoops medically 
to even facilitate a trade at good value. And I don't think that's going to happen. If teams are willing and satisfied with whatever they see on his medical report. Yeah, he's a 26-year-old player capable of producing on a top line with good players. That's going to come at a high value. We're talking about the insane contract Zach Hyman's probably going to get in free agency because he does that exact thing. Probably at the same level Tyler Bertuzzi does, except Tyler Bertuzzi's, what, three years younger? Who, Of course you would want to hop in on that. Who wouldn't? It'd be crazy if you didn't, uh, if you were a contending team. Um. Yeah, like it was funny when the rumor broke reading the responses from Leaf fans and Red Wings fans. Both sides have no idea what Tyler Bertuzzi's value is at. Red Wings fans are like two prospects and a first round pick, which it's like, yeah, not with the back injury. Leaf fans are like, yeah, I'd give up a second round pick for him. Man, do you realize how good Tyler Bertuzzi is? So it's the rumors on this one are going to be insufferable and it's going to be amazing to read. Uh, But yeah, I don't. He makes sense for any team contending. It makes sense from the Red Wings to move him because of his age and what his likely return would be, which would still be pretty substantial, even if it's not, you know, a three-piece deal. But I still don't think it's a great bet to happen because of the back injury. Nobody knows what they're getting right now. I think the best case scenario moving forward that leaves all options open whether you're a proponent of trading Bertuzzi you're a proponent of keeping Bertuzzi at all costs or you you fall somewhere in the middle is Bertuzzi's signed to a deal at a good price with term same as Mantha was Uh, lock him down for the next little while to make that an attractive contract for your team or another team Uh, make it cap you know you're friendly to your team's cap and then just see what happens I'm not here advocating for for Bertuzzi to be traded. I actually almost was with Mantha. If you guys brought that up or if you guys remember, I was actually scared to bring that up because of the the flaming that would come afterwards. Uh, I thought that was much more of a clear-cut decision with Mantha. With Bertuzzi, I'm a little bit torn on it. And it really just depends on that King's Ransom. And all you can do is sign him to a good deal and just see what happens. And if Eisenman's hand isn't forced by a phenomenal offer, then the Red Wings keep a, a very important piece. It's important in a rebuild to have good players who have been there, who have lived through the rebuild, who can be there for the young guys. Shit, Bertuzzi is one of the only guys who plays with that kind of – I thought they were missing that tenacity the whole time he was off the ice. So, he's not easily replaceable. So, I can't just come out here and say, yeah, absolutely, let's trade him. But no matter what side you fall on, the next step is his contract. So, we'll have to see how that one turns out. Um more to come on the potential returns from other teams because I think that's a fun conversation to have. But um, at the risk of making people who are proponents of keeping Bertuzzi at all costs uh, too angry, uh, let's let's move on here. Uh, you mentioned Zach Hyman, Brad. Again, Fridge mentioned Detroit was one of the teams in on Zach Hyman. Edmonton's the obvious one, but uh, apparently Detroit is extremely uh, or very interested in pursuing him. He's someone that uh, we mentioned on a previous podcast that, you know, Hyman would do well on this team. He, uh, I, I like Zach Hyman. I'm, I'm not concerned about him being like an abdicator type or anything like that. Uh, I think he would make any team better right now. The issue is based on Eisenman's MO in terms of who he wants to bring in and and how he wants to sign them, he doesn't exactly want a ton of long-term deals. Right now he wants a lot of flexibility. And he doesn't he's not going to pay top dollar. He never has. He's always going to squeeze out the best contract he can. Uh 
if I if Hyman's going to leave Toronto, it's going to be for long term and top dollar, right? So, you know, I think it makes perfect sense that Detroit wants that kind of player, especially if they might move Bertuzzi. Um, I just don't know if it's likely that he'll choose Detroit. Like he'll have to really be sold on what Eiserman is building, right? This might okay. First of all, let me preface this by saying Steve Eiserman is a vault. I don't believe any rumor about the Red Wings. Any. So I'm, I'm even taking this with a grain of salt. But if you want a guy like Zach Hyman, just fucking keep Tyler Bertuzzi. This makes no goddamn sense to me. None. Zero. Like, I refuse to believe this rumor is real because I can't believe Eisenman would do this. If, if, and this is a big if. Hyman's willing to come on a deal three years or less. Sure. You take him, you use him. And if the team turns it around pretty quickly, good. He's an asset that helps you do that. If he doesn't, I'm sure he'll still be valuable at some point in that contract where you can move him in the final year or with a year and a half left and get more assets out of it. Fine. If Zach Hyman signs for three years or less, he's crazy because he is what? 29 years old. This is the last Maybe probably the only big contract he's going to get in his entire career. So he should be trying to max out right now, not settle for a short-term deal on a bad team. He is a guy who has most of his career been about a half a point per game player and then got really hot this past season playing with two of the best players on the face of the earth. So yeah, I'm hugely skeptical that Hyman's going to repeat what he's done short of going to a team with a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews. I don't get it. I don't like it. If you want a Zach Hyman, just keep Bertuzzi for cheaper and he's younger. Or maybe Hyman's not getting the money he wants on the market because nobody has cap space and nobody has the real dollars right now. Eisenman takes advantage of that and says, hey, you want your, you know, six, six and a half, seven, whatever it is, you can have that for three years. Absolutely no clauses on that contract. And we're I'm telling you right now, we're gonna ship you if we get a good offer. I I, okay. I now that you said that, I actually think that that could be possible. It's possible. That's the best case scenario here. And I still don't like it. Because I wouldn't mind that at all. Okay, here's the caveat. We can overpay Zach Hyman whatever we want. If, if it's two or three years, I honestly almost don't even care what the cap it is. Because if we trade him, we can always retain yada, yada, yada. Do you think Zach Hyman at 29, 30, and 31 years old is going to repeat what he has done in his career without Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner? I think I, it's not about that though. It's not what he does with the Red Wings. Yeah, no, if, it is. If, it if he's halfway is. decent, but if he's halfway decent though, Brad, like if he plays with Larkin and you know whatever other winger is up there, and he he does pretty much what Bertuzzi does, or even if he reverts back to a half point per game player, like other teams aren't stupid. They know that the, that the Red Wings' good players are still good, even though they didn't produce last year, right? Like Hyman will still have value. It's not – he's a good player and I don't think ages 29, 30, and 31, he's going to turn into a grandpa like Evan after golfing six days straight. Like I think he's a he's still going to be a good player. The, the, there's for sure an age decline that hits at some point for every player, but it's not a steep drop-off for everyone. I, I think if he's halfway decent 
and he shows that he still has you know what he did in Toronto in the tank and he's capable of that team's pro scouts are smart they, they'll see that in a different situation he'll produce more like they they'll, they'll understand the context maybe that's a hell of a bet to make um I, I don't. I just plainly, I disagree with what Zach Hyman would do in Detroit. I think in Detroit, he's a 30 to 35 point player. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Other teams, pro scouts are going to go, well, yeah, we have a Patrick Kane or a Nathan McKinnon or a Connor McDavid. And objectively, you're right. Like I, I get that, but that is a hell of a bet to make in a flat cap world. And, and let's just. Be honest here. If we're talking about the biggest benefit of signing Zach Hyman is trading him, don't sign him. Like, why not? You're in a rebuild. You have to get creative. Re- the cap era is tough. Why not do something like that to get creative with it? Because it's a gamble. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll it, live a little, Brad, an old man. We ha- How many of these types of contracts have we been fucking burned by in the last five years? There has been absolutely zero contracts that are like the hypothetical we're discussing right now. If we're talking six years for Zach Hyman, zero yeah. Hy- okay, yeah, yeah. If we're talking six years, I was going to say zero hypotheticals. This is just an abdicator written all over it. A 29-year-old no, no, no. who rode the coattails of two superstars and then got massively overpaid and shit the bed the next goddamn <laughs> season. No, yeah, this is completely unlike anything we've ever seen. That no, being said, no. I think you're right. I don't think Eisenman signing Hyman to a yes. length of contract that Justin Applicator got. So you're right in the sense that it is different. But the context going into the contract is the exact fucking same. Um, do I think Hyman's a better player than Abdulkader at that point? Yes, but not by as much as people want to think. Abdulkader wasn't a horrible player when he got signed. Were his numbers inflated? Yes. Was he a dumpster fire of a player? No. Did he shortly thereafter turn into a dumpster fire of a player? Yes. Could I see the same thing happening with Zach Hyman if he's not surrounded by McDavid or Matthews? Also, yes. That's my concern. It's not that he might regress. If he regresses a little and you get burned a little bit, sure, fine. That sucks, but it happens. I see a reality where Zach Hyman falls off a fucking cliff under this contract. So that is my big concern. Nick Foligno got a first and two fourth, uh, two fourths off reputation alone in a, in a larger deal. There, there were some more complications to that. So yeah, objectively, Brad, I understand what you're saying. That's a big risk. I don't agree with the, the, the amount of risk that you're projecting onto this, but all of that aside, Nick Foligno got a first and two fourths. Teams that are looking to compete will overpay like nuts to push themselves over the edge because hockey is a bullshit random sport where the playoffs, you know, Montreal makes it to the finals. Like they need every single edge, every single tenth of a percent they can. That's why I'm saying even if the Red Wings hypothetically sign Zach Hyman to this stupid fanboy contract that we're, we're projecting up in our minds right now. He could play, be a third of the player he is, and because of the reputation he had in Toronto, I'm confident Eisenman could squeeze a good deal out for him. I keep getting the vibe that this is going to be the conversation we have in five years about when you defended the Abdulkader contract. But anyways. <laughs> hey, listen, listen, I defended the DeKaiser contract. I tried to justify the Abdulkader contract. Either way, both wrong. Um, <laughs> no, what? Well, Let's let's flip this because obviously we're looking at this from the Red Wings standpoint, which is obviously what we want. Let's look at this from the Hyman standpoint. This is his only big contract. This is going to be it. Are you going to settle for a three-year contract if you're Zach Hyman? For me, the answer is unequivocally no. Probably I would no. 
if I was him and the Red Wings are offering, you know, six and a half mil over three years, which would be crazy to me. But if they're offering that, but there's another team that's offering six years at four and a half, I'm taking that one a hundred out of a hundred times. Cause I'm not sure Zach Hyman's getting a four and a half million dollar or even a three and a half million dollar contract at age 32 or 33 or whatever it'll be. And also Zach Hyman's 29. If he wants a cup, <laughs> Detroit ain't the team to do that with, man. Even if they sign him to a four or a five year contract, Detroit ain't the team to be doing that with. So if, if I'm Hyman, I'm looking at any team that has a little bit of cap space that is in their window, Colorado, even Edmonton's not a bad bet. If they're interested, that seems like the natural fit. They have a desperate need for wingers to play with McDavid, and they have for it seems like the entirety of the time McDavid's been there. Ken Holland loves overspending on his aging vet. So like, I can't see Detroit outbidding Edmonton in this scenario. And if I'm Hyman, there's almost zero appeal to go to Detroit instead of Edmonton. And that's not even including the, you know, probably three, four, five other teams that are quietly going to come in here and also be very interested. So, yeah, it's nice to speculate about. And don't get me wrong, I'm enjoying the hell out of this conversation. But, man, if I'm Zach Hyman, I don't even look at Detroit. I don't care that he went to Michigan. If I'm him, I don't care that I went to Michigan. Like, no. Yeah. Well, the good news is we'll have plenty of Bertuzzi talk. We'll have plenty of Zach Hyman talk. All that mixed in with expansion talk and and uh, NHL draft talk and free agency talk. There's there's genuinely so much coming up in such a short period of time. It is going to be silly season for real. Um, let's move on here to a prospect profile because we are approaching the draft. Um, and we want to get one in for you. There's, there, we'll talk to you a little bit more about our plans coming up here. But first, let's talk about Nikita Chiprikov out of Russia, right winger. Brad, take us away. Ah, uh, yet another player whose U18 cemented uh, his stock about who we thought he was as a prospect, which in this draft means it raised his stock in this draft. Um, winger. Let's start with that because apparently everybody in this draft is a winger and Shibrikov is uh, no exception here. So he is an interesting one because he doesn't have that top end speed that really makes you notice him for someone who's sub six feet tall. He's skilled, but he's not that like supremely skilled type winger like a Lucas Raymond where you just look at him and you go, oh, yeah, I get it. But he's produced at every level he's played at. He's been the captain. He was the captain for Russia at the U18s. Um, he was, I think, the leading U18 scorer in the VHL this year. Put up huge numbers in the MHL. Even got into, I think, 15 or 16 games in the KHL this year with a top program, which is insanely hard to do. I only got two points in those, but just to play in that league at that age. And I think he was playing for Ska St. Petersburg, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, which is a hell of an accomplishment. So this is a player who I look at where the total is greater than the sum of the parts. He's He's got great hands, good hockey IQ. He's an elusive skater, so he's not a poor skater. Don't get me wrong. Relative to the rest of this draft class, which is overall a pretty weak skating draft class, he's probably above average, but relative to NHL standards, he's average. 
And again, he's only 5'11", but these are the type of players I buy into. And I don't know why I always buy into them, because it's easy to just look at production and go, yeah. And then you remember what Corey Locke did in the OHL back in the day. Um, but yeah, he, he's just the type of hockey player to me that gets it. He knows how to find the right spots on the ice. He knows how to follow the puck, which means the puck tends to follow them. He knows when to shoot. He knows when to pass. He's he's just a, a hockey player's hockey player, which is a stupid old hockey man euphemism or whatever you want to call it. But he just – he gets it, and I can't quantify it when I'm watching it, but I see it, if if that makes any sense to you guys. Evan, I've talked too much today. You uh, You take this before me. Um, well, what else is there to say? But, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I can honestly say I didn't know a whole lot about him. Um, but I started watching some clips about him, reading some reports on him and, uh, Brad's right. Like his game is sneakily impressive. Like, I don't think his first step and his first couple strides are, are great at all, but he has some elusive speed and you can kind of tell that when he's, he's you know, skating with the puck through the neutral zone. Defensemen, you know, they slow down to try and gap up, but he's coming like a freight train. So, um, he's one of those guys that don't look like they're moving fast, but he is flying. Um, he has, I can tell he's got very good hockey IQ and great vision because some of the passes he makes are just insane to set his teammates up for tap-ins. Um, the one spot I noticed, you know, he has great vision, good hockey IQ, but he's not fantastic in his defensive zone. Um, it seems like sometimes he's engaged. Sometimes he may not, he may not be there at all. Um, but I feel with good coaching, that's something that can be worked out. No problem. So I think, you know, if he's there at 23, he is a very enticing package. Like, he doesn't do anything really poorly. Like, you know, he's offensively gifted, not ultra great defensively, but like I said, who really is at that age? Um, he could be a very interesting prospect and I really like his game. And like Brad said, he kind of does everything right. Um, he may not have the best shot in the draft. He may not be the best skater in the draft. He may not be the most, complete 200 foot player in the draft but i think he does everything very competently where i fall on shibrikov is that i I don't necessarily disagree with your guys's analysis of him i think that that makes a lot of sense i'm just not seeing the kind of flash or high-end potential in my mind to justify pick 23 based on who else i think will be there which is probably a good number of guys who are dropping out of possibly you know our personal top 10s or, or whatever team's personal top 10 rankings. Second round, yeah, I'm all for it. I don't think he'll be there, but I, I, I cheat him in terms of where I feel comfortable taking him closer to the end of the first round, early second, rather than pick 23. Even if Red Wings were picking like five picks later, I, I think this would make a huge difference. But, you know, in terms of what you guys actually said about him, I'm not going to go sit here and repeat everything. I, I, I agree. I, I think he's... The U18s did a lot to expose, uh, you know, the really good parts of his game. It's hard when you're a Russian prospect playing up and down that system. Like you, it, 
a limited amount of games and a limited amount of viewings against variable competition, it's difficult to kind of suss out what a player actually is and isn't. And I, and I think Chibrikov is impressive. Um, I just don't know that his high end ceiling, his high end potential is good enough to justify pick 23 or if he has any kind of one single elite talent over other guys who will be available there. I think it's also good to note that uh, he's committed to staying in Russia for, I think, two more years. I mean, that doesn't yeah. matter for Detroit, but no. um, it, it definitely is worth noting and adds a little bit to what you need to think about when you are picking someone like him. But yeah, he, like I said, I don't think he does anything elite elite and would make him a potential first liner. I think, you know, if everything goes well, he'll be a producing top six forward in the NHL. He's a winger it's, who can ostensibly drive play, though, which there is a lot of value to be said about that. I shouldn't limit his ceiling. Like, he's a really good playmaker with good skill, and he can probably drive the play from the wing with the right line mates. So. And I think he plays the off wing, too. He can play both. I've, I've seen him play both. Yeah. Um, the one thing that's worth mentioning, though, that is if he stays in Russia for two more years, that's probably a benefit to the Red Wings because they slide his ELC even further. So by the time he would come over... Uh, the Red Wings might be entering their playoff window, and so they would have a th- full three years of him, maybe two years, depending how it goes, on an ELC, which you know could could be beneficial. I mean, he's for me, he's absolutely in play at uh, twenty three because I think I've got him ranked fifteen or sixteen. So that being said, based on all the rumors I'm reading, there's guys that I have ahead of him on my list who are also gonna fall into that range. So he probably won't be my favorite pick there, but he'll he'll definitely be in contention and the one thing that we should mention since we are a red wings pause podcast and we always have to tie it directly to the red wings in some way shape or form he fits the mold of what stevie's looking for high compete high hockey iq he he checks the two biggest boxes for what the red wings are looking for uh when they're drafting these days he also does have a little bit of sandpaper to his game which you know i usually bring that up every time so i don't know Maybe it's the early morning. I forgot that. Um, but he's not a super big dude. So I think if he's going to continue having that sandpaper attitude on the ice, he's going to have to add some weight. But ugh, what prospect? There's very few profit prospects you don't say that about. So yeah. adding weight, you know, to play at a, the men's level. I'm not too concerned about that. All right. Nikita Chibrikov, that's a very quick prospect profile. Uh, more draft content to come. Uh, we're going to have a pretty fun episode on Wednesday surrounding uh, the draft in mock, mock drafts, the draft preview, the official draft preview is not too far away. I know the expansion draft is coming smack dab in the middle of that. So stay tuned for more on those plans. All right, let's jump into overtime here on this episode of the Wind Wheel podcast to start wrapping things up. We're going to start with uh, Patreon, where our patrons get their comments right out first uh, and foremost as our way of saying thank you for being incredible people and supporting the show. Uh, if you uh, are able and would like to support the show, uh, we're completely independent and rely on the contributions of our incredible patrons. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Uh, the big con dog says, hello, boys. Interested to know what your go-to food order is at a restaurant you've never been to. Personally, mine is the Reuben. Thanks for the amazing content and stay fresh cheese bags. Um, if it's, you know, a basic restaurant. I'm a huge put- fiend for poutine. For those of you who don't know. It's- you go out to dinner and order yeah. a poutine. Yeah, I absolutely do. Like, 
if it's a nice restaurant, no, I'll, I'll probably go for something else. But if it's like no, uh, no, no, you said poutine, you're done. <laughs> you're going it, to the five star restaurant and you're getting a poutine. Oh, uh, if it's a five star restaurant, I'm getting a, anything with duck. I'm a huge fan of duck. How about you, schmucks? I don't even want to hear Brad's answer. Brad has the worst food takes on this podcast. I like. I, I, I so you, the fact you think anybody but yourself has the worst food takes after that answer is probably the most insulting thing you've ever said to me. Uh, um, <laughs> so I'll go on Ryan's assumption. This isn't a five star restaurant. So there's two scenarios here: a restaurant that I'll never go to again, or a restaurant that I am probably gonna frequent if it's i'm never going to again i'm picking out the weirdest thing on the menu and just going for it because i don't care if it's somewhere i'm going it's just going to be a basic burger and fries because how much they either nail or screw up a burger will tell me whether or not that is worth going back to so brad is ordering the bold testicles is what i hear from that yeah that's what he said on record actually i'd also like to note that this week the highest notification driver on twitter for me was a picture of just pizza with no was lars, it chicken we, oh it was lars that was buddy that was i'm sorry we try to keep the swearing down lars that was fucked up that pizza what was it chicken pineapple banana uh, uh curry powder on top something else no you need to go to prison like that, i'm not i'm you need to do time you need to do hard time for that that's messed up that was a hate crime towards everybody you sent that to yeah my pick for this is yeah if it's two distinctly different uh levels of restaurant the burger is always a good judge because if you fuck that up you oh i'm not gonna venture deeper into the into your menu if it's a nice restaurant that varies wild wildly i i always like fish and chips it's another good indication of your culinary creativity but i'll jump on a weird stuff too so maybe i'm a bull testicle guy as well i don't know (laughs) (laughs) evan's had the most clippable (laughs) moments over the last two weeks (laughs) all right well i can't follow that up so uh colorado 14ers says the uh the wings draft preview included an interview by uh steve eisman by trevor thompson in his usual ways eisman filled about five minutes with a lot of english words while saying very little i don't envy the beat writers for this team that have to try to to decipher any elements of truth or fact based on stevie's uh q a sessions have you guys ever asked uh max what he does with the data he gets from eisman press conferences oh yeah one of our most you know like frequent conversations with max is how hard it is to get any good information out of eisman which is by design from eisman um and then he notes that uh, max is one of the only uh currently one of the only people in the red wings beat that can actually hang with eisman in the rope dope press ring and i think that's absolutely correct uh we're very fortunate to have max on the beat not only does he put out great work you know with his articles on the athletic detroit he asks good meaningful questions in press conferences and you can tell he gets the respect from eisenman and the other people around him like he he does his work we're, we're very very fortunate to to have max um yeah yeah and it's it's especially hard with eisenman uh i wonder if any of the dub dub boys believe they have any insight on what insight on which way eisenman's leaning on moves for this offseason thanks and great job as always i think we mentioned it earlier this this episode more just context clues about where the red wings are at probably tell um the hymen news is funny because it goes counter to all of that which it probably speaks a little bit to more of how an uh 
how much of an iron vault Eisenman is, but yeah. Um, cap, cap efficient moves for other teams to bring on assets and take on bad contracts is the biggest thing. He said that quite a bit. I personally still have the leaning that Eisenman's not looking to get too much better because of the next two drafts, um, which are the Shane Wright and then the Bedard Amichkov drafts. Dylan Steubenrauch says, uh, just got my first real jersey. It's a Larkin I found on sale. Only problem is there's no C, but I can live with it. My question is, how many jerseys do each of you guys have? Oh, God. Brad. Entirely too goddamned many. I think I have five in this room. An additional, like, three we have to give away. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. How many One do you think I have? those jerseys you have in your room is mine. Yeah. <laughs> How many I, do you I think, think you I have, have one jersey? Incorrect. You have zero? Well, you know I have at least one. Uh, three jerseys. <laughs> Incorrect. Is it two? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brad, I have one. Of, we have one of your jerseys up on the wall because we thought we were going to use this damn studio before a pandemic. Um, English major says, how many Tampa players do you think get into the hall of fame? Probably Stamkos, Cooch, Vasilevsky, and Hedman. Um, I'm thinking instead of trading Bertuzzi, what do you guys think of a sign and trade Hyman back to Toronto? If we ate some of his cap, it probably won't work out since he wants term and money, but just spitballing. Eh. That feels like circumvention. <laughs> it feels illegal. We're not sure if it actually is illegal, but it definitely feels illegal. Um, that kind of deal is not very common or likely, or I'm not sure has happened at all recently. So I wouldn't count on that. <sighs> Stamkos will get into the hall of fame, international and, and NHL accomplishments. Kucherov will, Vasilevsky will, Hedman will. Yeah. Point. Point. Yeah. Point by the end of it all. There's a lot there. John Cooper, I think by the end we'll get in. Uh, Josh Trell says, uh, sup, dub, dub. I've been watching a lot of 60s, 70s, and 80s clips lately. Uh, holy shit, was a goaltending horrible. Curious if you guys have ever been down those old rabbit holes or just right off the days before modern hockey. No, no. Like, it's still – you You just have to look at the ears and the context that they were playing. And I don't think you write them off. You just have to adjust accordingly. That's why I, I like the concept of working to figure out era-adjusted stats. But no, it's still worth watching. It's why every conversation we have has to be relative to their peers because, like, you can make an argument right now. You take Darren Helm as he is right now and just drop him into 1982, he scores 76 goals. Like, <laughs> it, it's crazy just how far players have come since then. Sam W says, thanks, guys. Exciting time to be a Wings fan. We often assume that our players, for example, Tyler Bertuzzi, are overvalued by our fans and might not be thought of as highly around the league. Is it possible we are wrong and teams pro scouts value uh, what someone like Bertuzzi could bring to their potentially stronger roster? And how much is too much core to lose from a team culture perspective? I think we touched on this quite a bit earlier and the amount of interest around the league in Tyler Bertuzzi speaks to how he's valued. So I don't think Red Wings fans are wrong to set the price high here. How much core is too much to lose? It's such a complicated question based on timelines, how good your core actually is. If you're just arbitrarily assigning the term core as opposed to players truly being core players, it's tough. Uh, Stevie Langerman says, Hey gents, it's been a month or more since my last comment. 
thank you for the support, Stevie. Uh, life has been pretty crazy with work and we just moved into a house. Honestly, it's been a lot of stress. Barely even had time to golf. Wow, Evan, is that a sign of what's to come for you? I've been playing five times a week right now while working and getting the house move ready. It is Golf is always possible. Uh, Stevie goes on to say, it's just been so damn nice to listen to the pod and zone out from life. Thanks, boys, for all the awesome episodes this season. And glad to hear you're taking some time off during the summer. Well deserved. So what are each of your summer plans to relax? Hope it's full of beer, golf, lakes, and family. Live it up. Going to a cottage, a couple cottages, um, hopefully squeaking a vacation in towards the end of the summer. We have some camping planned. Yeah, just basically going out near water and staring at it and not saying anything. Sitting on a dock with a coffee and just looking at the water are my plans. Now that we're going into phase three in Ontario, I just booked 11 ice times for uh, August and September, as well as camp opening up for my hockey team. So uh, yeah, I'm going to be playing a lot of hockey because this last lockdown was the literal longest I've gone in my life between stepping on the ice. So I'm I'm really antsy right now. I will be golfing. I plan on going out west to do some golfing, maybe out east to do some golfing. And then in the fall or winter, I will go and snowboard out west that's the uh finishes off by saying stoke for the draft kent johnson all the way steve's a freaking man cheers to over 18 mil cheers to the over 18 mil champs and as always let's go red wings and stevie congrats on the new house pal that's awesome eric jeske says thank god we made it past the tedious stanley cup finals and can now focus on the much more exciting part of the season building rosters that may someday play in the stanley cup finals only interested in two kinds of trades at this point Leveraging cap space to land second or third round picks, or two, the less likely possibility of moving a top six piece like Bertuzzi or Fabry for a top tier center, left D, or goalie prospect, or a potential lottery pick. I don't see any of these in Toronto's cabinet, by the way. Is there any other kind of trade you guys are looking out for? No, you nailed it with those two, in my mind. Uh, Greach says, nothing like baseless rumors to discuss, am I right? <laughs> what else are we here for? Um, although, like, and, and I know you're kidding, but when Fridge says something, half the time it's a test balloon from those teams and half the time it's very real. He he doesn't really go on air without saying something concrete. So like him or hate him, uh, he is probably the NHL's most inside active insider, except for when uh, Bobby Margarita decides to pick up his phone. Uh, AJ Voss says, I've come to the conclusion that I don't have a preferred pick for this draft because I trust Steve Eisenman. His trade history shows that he can turn anything to gold. For example, Dilla Rose for Fabry, Drewan for Sergachev, Quincy for Vasilevsky, and the list goes on. So I believe he should just get the biggest asset available and then figure something out down the line. Likely trick a stupid GM into trading a bigger asset for it like he's done time and time again in Stevie We Trust. Uh, Mike Lennox says, I listened to the Luke Hughes profile and I now view him as a risky pick who brought visions of Brendan Smith my far off. I want to say first, I really wish I can go back and change what I said about Luke Hughes because I think it was too reductive about his abilities. I didn't want it to come off like he's, you know, useless offensively or, or a bad pick. I just think in the context of other high ceiling picks, he's not my preferred. The concerns about Luke Hughes are the same as Brendan Smith, except all of Luke Hughes' skills are well above what Brendan Smith's were at the same point. Uh, Teach says, don't worry, Ryan, no trick words this this week. I almost feel bad for making you say it, but then again, not really at the same time. Simple question for you three. Um, what's your favorite strange thing that this podcast fan base does? Oh, God. I need to say it. 
from three weirdos, you guys are a bunch of weirdos. Like you're a bunch of freaks like us. Um, the pizza thing is bizarre. Uh, I like how you guys take every meme and run with it. I truly like the, the mytho, the mythos that's been built around Evan. Like you guys have truly embraced who Evan is as a person and have elevated him to a status that is probably more indicative of his actual value to this show. Um, but I love how every time Evan is God and people just have their own pet theories about why he's not there or, you know, yeah, pretty much everything surrounding Evan, the Evan lob speaker account, pretty much all the meme and, and fan accounts I've spun off have been hilarious and weird. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have anything else. I do not. Soon- as soon as any trade rumor breaks, I just I fear for my mentions. It's about the only it's about the only one I find actively funny and enjoy, even though I know it's meant to annoy me. Um, we have time for one or two more questions here. Uh, a good one I saw on Reddit was from Commander Rex nineteen. If you can create a new NHL award, what would it be, and who would it be named after, and who would have won it this season? I think this should be the Pavel Datsuk Award, and I should I think it should be awarded for the single best play of the year. Like literally highlight of the year award. I don't know who would have won it this year because that's that would be exceptionally difficult to evaluate as well. McDavid would just hold it for years and years because the one this year that immediately came to mind was his goal against Toronto. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. Uh, the, uh I don't know what to call it. The uh, Eddie Shack Personality Award. The 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 person who actually makes hockey entertaining. Kucherov would have won it. And I would have been very okay with it. Or that would be that would be a big Robin Laner award. Um, Miss Stays says Bertuzzi and a third for ninth overall and Schmidt to make Vancouver's money work. Yes or no? For Detroit? Oh God, yes. Yeah. Holy hell, yes. I don't even think Schmidt's a negative value asset. <laughs> And that's a situation that Jim Bennings put Vancouver in where you have to – like you need to move out a Nate Schmidt. Uh, yeah, I, I would do that one. I definitely would. Imagine 6th, 9th, and 23rd. God. Um, Skate19 actually asked about the Luke Hughes-Brendan Smith thing. Uh, Blake that ass up says – and it's a, it's draft season and everyone has their opinion on who we should take at 6 and 22. But I don't think there's enough consideration being given to our complete lack of right-handed forwards. Um, having a team full of left-handed shots really limits your ability when attacking the offensive zone. Four out of our six forward picks last year were right-handed shots, and that's pretty much the extent of that shot handedness depth up front. Uh, what are your thoughts? Cheesebag, subscribe to YouTube. Something about Brad's name is BJ, and nothing is better than a chicken, bacon, pineapple, white sauce pizza. Thank you, Blake, for that one. If you're looking for right-handed forwards, boy, is this not the draft for you. <laughs> um Chaz yeah. Lucius, but uh, he'll. I wouldn't pick him at six, and he won't be there at twenty three. Lucell's probably a consideration at twenty three. Stankovin, he he's one of my picks there, and I am struggling off the top of my head to s- think of or remember any more right handed shots. Tuamala, if he makes it to the second round, but yeah, it's a concern. Um, Lucas Raymond helps with that, but yeah, I'm not drafting around that. All right, we're going to wrap up, wrap up this episode. Brad has to go compose some angry tweets directed at me based on how much I argued with him this episode. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We're going to be back with you midweek uh, with a very fun episode, so stay tuned for that. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, our name-level sponsors on Patreon, 
Arjun Shankar, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, King Tone, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan, Hannah Bananas, Slam and Jamathong, Taylor Tadgel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, BJ Crisco, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, As Good As It Gets, The 20 Centimeters of Justice, Trevor Pavavar, Vaxed Waxed at the 69th Annual Sockon. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.